Book Two, Chapter Six, Part Two of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Osterman cut his wheat that summer before any of the other ranchers, and as soon as his harvest was over, organized a jackrabbit drive. Like Annixter's barn dance, it was to be an event in which all the countryside should take part. The drive was to begin on the most western division of the Osterman Ranch, whence it would proceed toward the southeast, crossing into the northern part of Quien Sabe, on which Annixter had sown no wheat, and ending in the hills at the headwaters of Broderson Creek, where a barbecue was to be held. Early on the morning of the day of the drive, as Harran and Presley were saddling their horses before the stables on Los Muertos, the foreman, Phelps, remarked, I was in the town last night, and I hear that Christian has been after Ruggles early and late to have him put him in possession here on Los Muertos, and Delaney is doing the same for Quien Sabe. It was this man Christian, the real estate broker and cousin of S. Behrman, one of the main actors in the drama of Dyke's capture, who had come forward as a purchaser of Los Muertos when the railroad had regraded its holdings on the ranches around Bonneville. He claims, of course, Phelps went on, that when he bought Los Muertos of the railroad, he was guaranteed possession, and he wants the place in time for the harvest. That's almost as thin, muttered Harran, as he thrust his bit into his horse's mouth, as Delaney buying Annixter's home ranch. That slice of Quien Sabe, according to the railroad's grading, is worth about $10,000. Yes, even fifteen. And I don't believe Delaney is worth the price of a good horse. Why, these people don't even try to preserve appearances. Where would Christian find the money to buy Los Muertos? There's no one man in all Bonneville rich enough to do it. Damned rascals! As if we didn't see that Christian and Delaney are S. Behrman's right and left hands. Well, he'll get em cut off, he cried with sudden fierceness, if he comes too near the machine. How is it, Hiron? asked Presley, as the two young men rode out of the stable-yard. How is it the railroad gang can do anything before the Supreme Court hands down a decision? Well, you know how they talk, growled Harron. They have claimed that the cases taken up to the Supreme Court were not test cases, as we claim they are, and that because neither Annixter nor the governor appealed, they've lost their cases by default. It's the rottenest kind of sharp practice, but it won't do any good. The League is too strong. They won't dare move on us yet a while. Why, prayers the moment they try to jump any of these ranches around here, they would have six hundred rifles cracking at them as quick as how do you do. Why, it would take a regiment of U.S. soldiers to put any one of us off our land. No, sir. They know the League means business this time. As Presley and Harron trotted on along the county road, they continually passed or overtook other horsemen or buggies, carryalls, buckboards, or even farm wagons going in the same direction. These were full of the farming people from all the country around Bonneville, on their way to the rabbit drive, the same people seen at the barn dance in their Sunday finest, the girls in muslin frocks and garden hats, the men with linen dusters over their black clothes the older women in prints and dotted calicoes. Many of these latter had already taken off their bonnets, the day was very hot, and pinning them in newspapers, stowed them under the seats. They tucked their handkerchiefs into the collars of their dresses, or knotted them about their fat necks to keep out the dust. 
From the axle-trees of the vehicle swung carefully covered buckets of galvanized iron in which the lunch was packed. The younger children, the boys with great frilled collars, the girls with ill-fitting shoes cramping their feet, leaned from the sides of buggy and carry-all, eating bananas and macaroons, staring about with ox-like stolidity. Tied to the axles, the dogs followed the horses' hooves with lolling tongues coated with dust. The California summer lay blanket-wise and smothering over all the land. The hills, bone-dry, were browned and parched. The grasses and wild oats, sear and yellow, snapped like glass filaments underfoot. The roads, the bordering fences, even the lower leaves and branches of the trees were thick and gray with dust. All color had been burned from the landscape except in the irrigated patches, that in the waste of brown and dull yellow glowed like oases. The wheat, now close to its maturity, had turned from pale yellow to golden yellow, and from that to brown. Like a giant carpet, it spread itself over all the land. There was nothing else to be seen but the limitless sea of wheat as far as the eye could reach, dry, rustling, crisp, and harsh in the rare breaths of hot wind out of the southeast. As Harran and Presley went along the county road, the number of vehicles and riders increased. They overtook and passed Hooven and his family in the former's farm wagon, a saddled horse tied to the backboard. The little Dutchman, wearing the old frock coat of Magnus Derrick, and a new broad-brimmed straw hat, sat on the front seat with Mrs. Hooven. The little girl, Hilda, and the older daughter, Minna, were behind them on a board laid across the sides of the wagon. Presley and Harran stopped to shake hands. "'See!' cried Hooven, exhibiting an old but extremely well-kept rifle. "'See! By cut me! I, I take some shots at those rabbit, you bet! When we have stopped to run and sit up so bad hind legs on, I open with the gun and bang! I catch them. "'The marshals won't allow you to shoot, Bismarck,' observed Presley, looking at Minna. Hooven doubled up with merriment. Oh, that's, that's a hell of some fine joke. <laughs> me, me, I'm one of those marshals myself. <laughs> he roared with delight, beating his knee. To his notion, the joke was irresistible. All day long, he could be heard repeating it. Aunt Mr. Presley, he say, those marshals won't let you shoot, Bismarck, and me, <laughs> me, <laughs> and I myself one of those marshals. <laughs> As the two friends rode on, Presley had in his mind the image of Minna Hooven, very pretty in a clean gown of pink gingham, a cheap straw sailor hat from a Bonneville store on her blue-black hair. He remembered her very pale face, very red lips, and eyes of greenish-blue. A pretty girl, certainly, always trailing a group of men behind her. Her love affairs were the talk of all Los Muertos. "'I hope that Hooven girl won't go to the bad,' Presley said to Harran. "'Oh, she's all right,' the other answered. "'There's nothing vicious about Minna, and I guess she'll marry that foreman on the ditch gang right enough.' "'Well, as a matter of course, she's a good girl,' Presley hastened to reply. "'Only she's too pretty for a poor girl, and too sure of her prettiness besides.' That's the kind, he continued, who would find it pretty easy to go wrong if they lived in a city. Around Carraher's was a veritable throng. Saddle horses and buggies by the score were clustered underneath the shed or hitched to the railings in front of the watering trough. 
Three of Broderson's Portuguese tenants and a couple of workmen from the railroad shops in Bonneville were on the porch already very drunk. Continually young men, singly or in groups, came from the doorway, wiping their lips with sidelong gestures of the hand. The whole place exhaled the febrile bustle of the saloon on a holiday morning. The procession of teams streamed on through Bonneville, reinforced at every street corner. Along the upper road from Quien Sabe and Guadalajara came fresh auxiliaries, Spanish Mexicans from the town itself, swarthy young men on capering horses, dark-eyed girls, and matrons in red and black and yellow, more Portuguese in brand-new overalls, smoking long, thin cigars. Even Father Saria appeared. Look, said Presley. There goes Annixter and Hilma. He's got his buckskin back. The master of Quien Sabe, in top-laced boots and campaign hat, a cigar in his teeth, followed along beside the carryall. Hilma and Mrs. Derrick were on the back seat, young Vaca driving. Harron and Presley bowed, taking off their hats. Hello, hello, Pres, cried Annixter over the heads of the intervening crowd, standing up in his stirrups and waving a hand. Great day! What a mob, huh? Say, when this thing is over and everybody starts to walk into the barbecue, come and have lunch with us. I'll look for you, you and Harron. Hello, Harron. Where's the governor? He didn't come today, Harron shouted back as the crowd carried him further away from Annixter. Left him and old Broderson at Los Muertos. The throng emerged from the open country again, spreading out upon the Osterman Ranch. From all directions could be seen horses and buggies driving across the stubble, converging upon the rendezvous. Osterman's ranch house was left to the eastward, the army of the guests hurrying forward, for it was beginning to be late, to where, around a flagpole flying a red flag, a vast crowd of buggies and horses was already forming. The marshals began to appear. Hooven, descending from the farm wagon, pinned his white badge to his hat-brim and mounted his horse. Osterman, in marvellous riding clothes of English pattern, galloped up and down upon his best thoroughbred, cracking jokes with everybody, chaffing, joshing, his great mouth distended in a perpetual grin of amiability. "'Stop here! Stop here!' he vociferated, dashing along in front of Presley and Harron, waving his crop. The procession came to a halt, the horses' heads pointing eastward. The line began to be formed, the marshals perspiring, shouting, fretting, galloping about, urging this one forward, ordering this one back, ranged the thousands of conveyances and cavaliers in a long line, shaped like a wide-open crescent. Its wings, under the command of lieutenants, were slightly advanced. Far out before its center, Osterman took his place, delighted beyond expression at his conspicuousness, posing for the gallery making his horse dance. "'Well, ain't they going to commence the pretty soon?' exclaimed Mrs. Hooven, who had taken her husband's place on the forward seat of the wagon. "'I never was so warm,' muttered Minna, fanning herself with her hat. All seemed in readiness, for miles over the flat expanse of stubble curved the interminable lines of horses and vehicles. At a guess, nearly five thousand people were present. The drive was one of the biggest ever held. But no start was made. Immobilized, the vast crescent stuck motionless under the blazing sun. Here and there could be heard voices, uplifted in jocular remonstrance. Oh, I say, gotta move on, somebody. All aboard. 
I say, I'll, I'll take root here pretty soon. Some took malicious pleasure in starting false alarms. Ah, here we go. Off at last. We're off. Invariably these jokes fooled someone in the line. An old man or some old woman, nervous, hard of hearing, always gathered up the reins and started off, only to be hustled and ordered back into the line by the nearest marshal. This maneuver never failed to produce its effect of hilarity upon those near at hand. Everybody laughed at the blunderer, the joker, jeering audibly. Hey, come back here. Oh, he's easy. Don't be in a hurry, Grandpa. Say, you want to drive all the rabbits yourself? Later on, a certain group of these fellows started a huge josh. Say, that's what we're waiting for, the do-funny. The do-funny? Sure. You can't drive rabbits without the do-funny. What's to do funny? Oh, say, she don't know what to do funny is. We can't start without it, sure. Pete went back to get it. Oh, you're joking me. There's no such thing. Well, aren't we waiting for it? Oh, look here, look, cried some women in a covered rig. See, they're starting already, way over there. In fact, it did appear as if the far extremity of the line was in motion. Dust rose in the air above it. They are starting. Why don't we start? No, they stopped. False alarm. They've not either. Why don't we move? But as one or two began to move off, the nearest marshal shouted wrathfully, Get back there! Get back there! Well, they've started over there. Get back, I tell you. Where's the do-funny? Say, we're going to miss it all. They've all started over there. A lieutenant came galloping along in front of the line, shouting, here, what's the matter here? Why don't you start? There was a great shout. Everybody simultaneously uttered a prolonged, Oh, we're off. Here we go for sure this time. Remember to keep the alignment, roared the lieutenant. Don't go too fast. And the marshals, rushing here and there on their sweating horses to points where the line bulged forward, shouted, waving their arms, Not too fast! Not too fast. Keep back here. Keep keep closer together here. Do you want to let all the rabbits run out between you? A great confused sound rose in the air, the creaking of axles, the jolt of iron tires over the dry clods, the clink of brittle stubble under the horse's hooves, the barking of dogs, the shouts and conversation and laughter. The entire line, horses, buggies, wagons, gigs, dogs, men, and boys on foot, and armed with clubs, moving slowly across the field, sending up a cloud of white dust that hung above the scene like smoke. A brisk gaiety was in the air. Everybody was in the best of humor, calling from team to team, laughing, skylarking, joshing Garnet of the Ruby Rancho and Gethings of the San Pablo, both on horseback, found themselves side by side. Ignoring the drive and the spirit of the occasion, they kept up a prolonged and serious conversation on an expected rise in the price of wheat. Dabney, also on horseback, followed them, listening attentively to every word, but hazarding no remark. End of Book Two, Chapter Six, Part One